You're listening to a live 90.5. And good evening. Welcome to the Power Up Show with Mia and Paul rocking you through the week that was in business. Paul, hey, mate, you look exhausted, but what's on the evening show? Good evening, Mia. Good evening, already, And thank you for the kind compliment about my exhausted state. I'm sorry, Paul. Uh, so. As always, you are so handsome and dapper, looking absolutely fantastic. Cover of the GQ magazine is for you. I always know when you're lying. <laughs> Anyway, let's get on with it. It's a, I like to call it Power Up Express. Welcome, everybody, to our Thursday evening show. And uh, on the show tonight, it's in a packed show tonight, we'll be talking, first of all, to a lady called uh, Kelly Chu. And Kelly will be talking to us about um, her experience of using LinkedIn. And also talking about 100 lunches with strangers and how that's helped her, mm. up her business. Through LinkedIn, making those connections through, through LinkedIn. Amazing. All through LinkedIn, that's right. Exactly right. And, I mean, uh, didn't your mother tell you not to have lunch with strangers? Uh, <laughs> I think which is not accepting sweets of strangers, oh, actually. Okay. I think was the Coffee's actual okay. thing that was said. So, and after that, uh, are we talking through um, about five, having five effective workplace mm. conversations and how they can help your business? Then we'll be talking to another guest, uh, David McCauley. And David is an expert in um, in sales strategy within the FMCG, the fast moving consumer goods uh, area, which uh, which sounds really insightful. And we're talking about um, a case study David there. and I have had a conversation off air. And I must just tell you the insights that he's given me on Aldi and the Aldi model, because I'm very familiar with the Woolworths and the Coles and the Metcash models. It's just blown in my mind. I've got a whole new level of respect for what Aldi have actually built, so I can't wait to speak to David mm. so you can share yeah, information sounds with good. Absol- you. Yeah. Absolutely right. And then Mia, you're going to be talking to little bit about, uh, about DISC and using DISC. Now, this is something we both love. So, yeah. um, and you can give us a little bit of a segment there. And then before the end of the show, we talk is a fabulous Raj before the Bollywood show that yes, comes and you, up. And, and I'm going to introduce Raj to something that you told me just before we went on air. And I believe your words to me were, why do I ever tell you anything? So. I do believe I do believe I did. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, meantime, you're listening to the Power Up Show with Mia and Paul on a live 90.5. And you're back with the Power Up Show with Mia and Paul. And we currently have Kaylee Chu on the line. And Kaylee Chu... Uh, it's a story that I found on LinkedIn, Paul, and I think you're across it too. Mm, because when mm. we look at LinkedIn, we tend to make connections, but we don't actually do anything with these connections. But Kaylee right. took a very unique approach to connecting through LinkedIn, and that was creating an environment where she had lunch with a hundred people. Kaylee, how are you? Hi, Mia. Hi, Paul. Hello. Thanks for having me here tonight. No problem. Kaylee, tell us, what was your thinking around deciding to change the way you used LinkedIn and have a hundred lunches or coffee dates, should we say? They are, they are definitely lunches, more than, more than a coffee date, because we had, you know, big meals together sometimes and have long, long, long lunches. Really? <laughs> yes. The longest lunch I had was about three, four hours long. <laughs> My goodness. So tell me, what was your thinking? What made you decide to to do this with LinkedIn firstly? Um, I didn't choose to do it. I kind of got pushed to do something because I was really shy before. I couldn't talk to any strangers or anyone that's non-Asian background. I wasn't born here. I was born in Hong Kong and English wasn't. it's not my first language. So I was really shy and I got pushed to a point where I thought to myself I had to do something I had to change and I want to find someone that I can talk to like strangers that are willing to talk to me but instead of going on other platform I thought LinkedIn is a professional platform where I can look at people's profile um, and see what they've done someone interesting to meet so that's why I chose LinkedIn to you know to get people for lunches. 
So what were you hoping to achieve? So you said that you were very uh, introverted, I suppose is the right word. I don't like using that word. You were very uncomfortable. <laughs> you, you sound like, like you're just like Mia, actually. Mia's very introverted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and your English is beautiful, so I'm not quite yeah. sure where that came from. <laughs> what were you hoping to achieve by doing uh, honestly, this? Honestly, when I first started, all I wanted to do was just build my confidence because, like I said, I couldn't talk to strangers, not just strangers, even people that I know for a long time. Um, I still can't talk to them anyone that's non-Asian background. Wow. I, I, I just can't. It's fascinating, isn't it? I'm just looking here as well again at this and um, when I read the story earlier, I wasn't actually sure to look, really look through the pictures as well and you've got, uh, you've, got some, you've got selfies of a lot of these lunches as well, I see. Yes. Fantastic. What kind of people did you choose to meet with? How did you select them? Um, I looked at their profiles. So I purposely look at different diversified people so mm-hmm. that I don't hang out with people from Hong Kong only and go and meet more people from like different industry for example and different cultural background different stage of life different age group etc so i want to meet as many people as possible from different backgrounds so that i can learn from them and what were the five biggest lessons that you feel you learned from the kind of people you met oh wow so many i've learned (laughs) a lot from from all these lunges um i think the biggest lesson i learned for myself is that we have the power to change our own destiny and we can, if there's anything that we're not happy with, like I was, I was shy and I couldn't talk to people and we have the ability to change and push ourselves out of our comfort zone and now I'm happy to talk to anyone. No, it sounds like it because you're now on the, <laughs> the radio on a live 90.5. There's only 12,000 people listening to you currently. Oh, wow. so. <laughs> Plus two might be listening online. And, and those listening online, so you've done well. Including me as mum. Strangers are not that scary, and definitely not as scary as our parents make us feel. Yeah, no, it's interesting, isn't it? It's it's funny because um, you know it's one of those things that you kind of think there's lots of um, conventional ways that people try and actually overcome a shyness, and you've chosen a very unconventional Mm. way, but a fantastic idea though. You pushed yourself well out of your comfort zone, and then you went 25 kilometres further away from it. So it's just (laughs) amazing. I know that when I meet people through LinkedIn, and I'm not really that introverted, but I do get a little nervous. <laughs> Sorry, I'm nodding. What to expect. <laughs> now, um, Paul and I were just looking. You've actually uh, written a book based right. on your so, experience. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this? Oh, the book is... I actually accidentally wrote a book. <laughs> I wasn't planning to write a book at all. Um, that's not my plan. But then after I had all the lunches, because mm-hmm. I met majority of them through LinkedIn, so after all the lunches, that was end of last year, I just sit down on my computer and I start typing. I just planning to type a thank you email, my thank mm-hmm. you article, um, to thank you all the guests who had lunch with me and you know what lessons that I learned. But the first draft that I got was like three and a half thousand words because <laughs> <laughs> so many lessons. So I, I thought, okay, I'll do an e-book and I start typing and typing and before I know it, that becomes, you know, 30,000 words. So what I did, I combined all the lessons that I learned, um, 15 lessons through all the lunches um, into the book. So the book name is 100 Lunches with Strangers. Uh, and, you know, some of the FAQs because lots of people ask me lots of questions. I put mm. the FAQs in there and a template people can use when they, if they want to do something similar. So I put a template there that, message template so they can use and send message and invite people out for lunches and just a thank you. I have to ask the question though, who paid for the lunches? Yes, and a way to thank all my lunch guests and also my mentor, John Dinatelli, for helping me, 
Definitely not. Encourage oh, me for real. Like beautiful. Yeah, we. I've connected with John and and I've been going through his profile. I think we're definitely going to have to get him on the show. Um, <laughs> so, so he'll be getting I'm a call sure from me relatively he soon. Yeah, he used to work on the <laughs> Hey, I just wanted that. to know who who um, paid for all the lunches. One hundred lunches. <laughs> Um, that's an interesting question. I always offer to pay for the lunches because I invite them out for lunch. But to be honest, um, I'd say half of them, I don't have an official record, but roughly half of them people would, would offer to pay for the lunch. Oh, so wow. I, I don't know. Maybe. Yes. Sometimes pay. Sometimes other people pay, but for all the lessons that I learned, I, it, I, I don't even care if I have to yeah. pay for <laughs> Yeah, it sounds The experience like sounds fantastic. Nico, just one final question we'd just like to ask you. How would you suggest people use LinkedIn moving forward as a tool to connect? Absolutely. Definitely recommend that. Um, I just can't find any other platform that you can meet other industry people in such an efficient way. Like, I've met so many interesting people, like anaesthetists and surgeons. And, wow, so you um, work quite IT diverse. Cause, mm. you know, Katie, yeah. what's your background? You're, you're in finance. Yes, financial planning. So um, you were quite diversified in who you were cont- contacting. If you say you were talking to anaesthetists and doctors, that's nowhere near finance, really. <laughs> well, except for the fact I'm going to sell a kidney if I need to see an anaesthetist. Everybody needs a financial planner, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's who you most commonly connect with. That's right. So we can educate each other. So I can educate yeah. them about superannuation, tax minimization, and investments, and they can teach me about the industry, like graphic designers he taught me how to you know the whole process from a concept into a final production and i learned from you know so many different things that i never ever thought of not that i can use it in the real life i probably never use them but it's just amazing to learn so many knowledge from different people amazing yeah beautiful well katie thank you so much for coming on the show we do appreciate it and i've absolutely enjoyed reading your article where can i get your book um, through in my website, so kaylechu.com or 100lunches.com, or you can just get it from Amazon um, yeah, or Kindle. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Kaylee. We do appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Great to talk to you, Kaylee. You're listening to a live 90.5. This is the Power Up Show with me and Paul. So, Paul, today I was involved in quite an interesting meeting uh, where the conversation started a little bit around how to be better communicators in the workplace, but more importantly, around how to communicate new ideas, new Mm. innovations. And Mm. it was interesting because I started asking questions around how organisation, this particular organisation worked. They've got thousands of people in the organisation. And I said, well, what happens when you come up with this really good idea? What do you do Mm. with it? And the Mm. comments I kind of got was, a little bit of a chuckle, embarrassed little laughs. And uh, one of the people in the room actually turned around to me and said, yeah, this meeting is where good ideas actually come to die. (laughs) (laughs) And I said to them, well, that makes no sense. What do you mean? And they said, well, we do come up with great ideas, great initiatives, Mm. but from there it just seems to stagnate Mm. and Mm. then Mm. there's nothing. So Mm. my question Mm. to you, Paul, is – We've had a conversation about how conversations around ideas and innovation in the workplace mm. needs to be. And for the life of me, I could not remember what that cycle looked like. So mm. could you just run us sure through what that cycle's like? Yeah. At least it proves sometimes you listen to me. So no. uh, <laughs> I always listen to you as long as you're not testing me. Uh, yeah, that's right. As long as I'm not talking about sport. Yeah. Um, but um, look, from my experience, um, there are really kind of like five different types of conversation in the workplace to, that really add up to what I call effective um, you know, conversations. And, and one of those types of conversations is very much around, you say, about that innovation, building ideas, about... Um, uh, making sure that ideas are actually um, that they're encouraged, and also from there, 
uh, those ideas go some, somewhere as well. And, and I um, think this is where the hole is. The ideas are going nowhere. They're just mm, going over lunch and then mm, mm. they're back to work. Absolutely. Look, I think um, what, I, what I would say with that, basically, is it's important that uh, when those ideas come up, that first of all, there's a, there's a bit of a starting point in terms of making sure everybody's prepared to have that type of conversation mm-hmm. about uh, building ideas. Um, people stick to um, intelligent and factual information. Um, you choose basically where um, the conversation starts around that idea, and then basically you actually work in terms of actually okay, so what's going to happen next? So there has to be there has to be a next a next point in terms of mm-hmm. where, where it goes from, and um, and that could be about in some cases what I will see the the second type of conversation around delegation. So it may be that's actually delegated to somebody to pick it up to make sure it actually goes goes further, and um, and making sure those those conversations are then. Um, you know, the, the appropriate work is uh, takes place to make sure that... Um, so it's taking that next step. We've yeah, got this exactly idea right. who's taking yeah. responsibility for it. Absolutely yeah. right, absolutely right. Now, in, in ideas, sometimes there is risk involved. Uh, and sometimes, basically, it's about thinking about uh, building a bit of resilience um, with that idea that just make sure that it's been stress tested and nothing's going to go wrong. So sometimes there's a little bit about um, a little bit of thinking, or thinking types of conversations. What I call about next in terms of making sure that it's well thought through, mm-hmm. uh, which actually is interesting because a conversation I was actually having with a client today was very much on the basis of like some great ideas, but oh, hang on a second, this could really. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so the person really you're like, delegating to is probably you're probably saying get a think tank together and let's just flesh it out. Let's look at all the negatives, look at all the positives. What can go wrong, but what can go and right. That might then be coming back. Yes, right, exactly right. And, the, and um, an example I came across today was where a case of some great ideas, but there was a real downside to those ideas as well. Um, and I guess probably that brings me to part four, um, which is around. Um, you know, having sort of like feedback conversations, so giving that feedback through around mm. that particular idea. This is not work for this particular reason, and why? Not just in case it's not going to work. And it's would about you why. agree that the feedback should be look, if X, Y, and Z is not going to work, but we would suggest maybe looking at A, B, C. Absolutely right. Absolutely uh, right. So the idea is not dead in the water. Absolutely. It's just forming a new concept or new idea. It's just growing and becoming a different beast. So Absolutely to speak. right. Yeah. An expression I often use um, is uh, let's think about actually coming up with solutions, not about just creating problems. Mm. I used to say it to uh, team members uh, back in corporate world and says, please, can you bring me solutions, not problems? Yes. <laughs> I, and, I, no- uh, I normally say the problems desk is open on uh, whatever, let's say today's yeah. Wednesday, Thursday. The problems desk is open on a Thursday between 12 and 12.01 midnight. If you miss your slot, we're done. <laughs> it's like the conversation with the kids, the same, you've got to complete put it in <laughs> yeah. an email. Um, and then finally, it brings it back to actually come back to meet it again. Um, so it's actually having another meeting, and uh, and this is where it can be the work. Uh, they can be the worst offenders, but also they need to be uh, put together to make sure the ideas come up. So once again, you're going back at the meeting, making sure everybody's um, everybody's prepared, um, and everybody has a clear role to play in terms of that idea generation, and also that um, there's actually then a way of actually thinking. Okay, so where do you go? Where do you go from here? And mm. uh, and making sure everybody's actually set up success and taking that idea somewhere. So that, that's why I fired little tips into a little section about uh, having those kind of conversations in the workplace to make sure there's more effective conversation that takes place to hopefully get those ideas through. Fantastic. I wish I'd remembered that in my meeting today. But now, Paul... I've got a memory jogger which I can uh, <laughs> yes, throw over the desk me. for you so you never forget that ever again. <laughs> Paul, we're going to clear off some uh, adverts now. And when we come back, I am going to be nerding out and speaking to another sales strategist, David McCauley. So if you need to go have a cup of coffee or take a break, feel free. <laughs> no, no, no. Never have enough salespeople around. All good. <laughs> You're listening to Power Up Show with me and Paul on a live 90.5. Got a background in FMCG and I have worked 
uh, quite extensively within this space. But the thing that has always surprised me is the massive success that Aldi has had specifically with their bargain aisle. Have you seen that one? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. I've, I've spent many a dollar in the bargain aisle. <laughs> and according to this article in the age, you know, and this is according to the article in the age this week, this has been such a successful strategy for Aldi. On paper, in my opinion, it shouldn't work because mm. it is chaos. It's crazy and what mm. have you. But in practice, it has become a roaring success, making Aussie manufacturers millions. And I, I wanted to talk to David. He's a sales strategist. He works in this space too. And I want him just to quickly, David, how are you? Hello, Mia. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me on your show tonight. I'm so excited. Hi, David. I'm just nerding out here, Paul. You can go. No, we don't need you. <laughs> no, don't worry. I'm going to chip in. <laughs> I can't keep me quiet. <laughs> David, before we talk uh, about why this bargain aisle has become so successful, can you just share with our listeners what you and I were talking about yesterday? And that is the history of Aldi and why they are so successful today. Yeah, sure thing, Mia. Thanks for asking when you uh, when you reached out the other day talking about Aldi, I was thinking, Aldi, that's a massive topic for, you know, six or seven minutes or thereabouts to sort of crunch it down. So to help you listen, listen to sort of understand um, Aldi and who they are, what they are, is, is to take a bit of a, uh, a step down um, down the down the history channel. Aldi started off um, in Germany in roughly 1946, but they can cast their roots back to 1913 in, in, a, in a country town in Essen in Germany. So that's not too much different to Woolies and Coles, actually. So Woolies mm. started in Sydney in 1924, thereabouts, and I think uh, Coles started around about 1914, thereabouts, in Melbourne. So the history of the of Aldi and Woolies and Coles are not too dissimilar in terms of longevity in in the space. So what they do, and, and if you think about Aldi now, Aldi is roughly worth around about globally somewhere a little bit a bit north of a hundred billion dollars. So to put that <laughs> wow. in context, Jeez. yeah, it's massive. Small I mean, that's change, the same right? <laughs> That's the same size as essentially the entire Australian food and grocery industry. So I mean, that is just absolutely massive. So the guys, the brothers who started off, the two of them, they're worth uh, absolute squillions now, as you mm-hmm. can imagine. Unfortunately, they're both dead, but their, their, their foundations are worth squillions. They split the company in half, essentially, doing it, what, uh, an Aldi North and an Aldi South, and that's not South the Equator or North the Equator, that's South Germany and North Germany. Mm-hmm. And so they um, they uh, split it apart, but they run, they run the same model, they run the same branding, they run the same back office, they run the same, all of that kind of stuff together, which is which is pretty cool. They just have differing opinions and who should run, who should who should be running, running <laughs> joint. Which I guess that's not too dissimilar to a whole bunch of entrepreneurs that are running around Australia right now. Or just random um, brothers and sisters who are trying to kill themselves right, right now while parents are going, turn off, stop it, leave me alone. <laughs> yes, certainly my household, that's exactly the way it works. Oh, Glenn, you're not alone there, David. <laughs> so we're, uh, what, what Aldi's all about is that they just focus absolutely on price, they focus on driving the absolute, um, as much cost out of their business as they possibly can, so that's why they've never introduced plastic bags in Australia, that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons, because it's just an unnecessary cost for them, mm-hmm. and they have a very, very tight range, so they've got something like 1,500 SKUs or stock-keeping units in their business, so comparatively to a Woolies, Woolies or a Coles carry somewhere around about the 25,000 to 30,000 SKUs, individual products. 
Um, whereas Audi, as I said, is 1500 I mean, that is a massive, massive difference between the and, two. And you were saying, you know, for, for the listeners to understand this, uh, you told me that Aldi turn around their entire store in how many days? Yes, well, that's the other piece, is that Audi is, is amazing. Their, their success, a retail metric, a, a key retail metric, is how quickly you can turn the store. So they turn their store um, roughly... In terms of their core products, not necessarily their special buys, but certainly their, their core products, um, roughly every two to three days. Now, Amazing. to put that in context, you, so you think about that. A Woolies store or a Coles store turns their, turns, their, turns their entire store something like 26 times to 30 times a year. <laughs> and there's a reason we are not on video, because you should see Paul's face right My jaw dropped. <laughs> so they run an incredibly good operation. I mean, Aldi are fantastic. They have, they have really, the, the key to their success here in Australia is actually been, uh, they've been really quite fortunate in some regards. The competitive landscape that they walked into uh, when they arrived here in 2001, um, there was no deep discounter in Australia. So Aldi is what's called um, a deep discounter, a hard discounter, that's the, that's the terminology in the trade. So when, uh, when they came in here, Franklin's really pretty much wasn't around. They they tried to upskill themselves or up-trade themselves with a big fresh bottle, which didn't really work for them. Jewel had disappeared off the, off, the, off, off the retail landscape. And so there's this massive gap. A whole bunch of consumers in Australia were, were looking for a deep discount type operation. Franklin's in their heyday, just to give you a bit of a sense of the kind of market that, was, that wasn't being served, um, Franklin's had somewhere between 25 to 30% of the Sydney market when they were a dominant here so no one was no one was serving that space Aldi came in so hey thanks very much I'll take that mm. so they jumped in and took it the other piece about it is that because Aldi is not it's a, it's a privately owned company by the brothers and so those guys can just weather they can they can throw a billion dollars here a billion dollars there in their speak and they don't really care mm. because it's what it's what in the end it's what's financing their lives is what's important to them and you know those guys are pretty frugal anyway and so uh they, they were just prepared to invest and take the long-term view that they wanted to put the, the Aldi model into Australia. Just about every country in the, on, on the planet that Aldi's entered, they have been defeated, which is which is quite incredible. Um, and so, yeah, so there you go. So they uh, they walked into that kind of landscape. So they they had a they had an already pre pre primed customer base who were crying out for a deep discounter. There was no one there, so Aldi ju- jumped in. The other piece that's been really, really fortunate for, for Aldi over the last, or certainly since the GFC, is that um, consumers have been struggling uh, to sort of stay ahead. So consumers have become a little bit more savvy in, about, in their approach to in, in their approach to purchase. So Euromonitor is international. They've done, a, they've done a fantastic white paper in this space, and what they recall it, what they call it, is the middle class retreat. So what that's saying is, in Western world as we know it. Um, most families and most households are struggling to maintain the same lifestyle that they've been used to. And I'm sure half of Sydney could appreciate that. Yeah. Mm. And, and the, uh, the sort of understanding is like, yep, that applies to me. So they've had, so Aldi from being fortunate, they've had a marketplace that had a gap in the marketplace which they've been able to fill. And then they've also had a customer base that's saying, hey, listen, I'm really wanting. I'm wanting the, all the trappings of what I had yesterday. I don't have quite the same amount of money that I had, and so I'm prepared to spend where I can to achieve that mm. outcome. And so that 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 then leads you to uh, where the special buys kick in, and that's uh, 
and that's quite quite an amazing program that they've got there. David, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a break quickly because I want to have a discussion with you about the special buys now and what you just said about. Um, <clears throat> the middle class or average Australian just looking elsewhere to maintain a certain lifestyle, which is yeah. where LD is definitely coming in. So can you just stick around with us? Um, we're just sure, going to go to a quick break, and I think it's quite apt that we've got smooth criminal while there's two salespeople. <laughs> I'm really enjoying your playlist. <laughs> well, we do like rocking in on a Thursday, so we're going to yeah. be back. Um, yeah. With Linda Skinner, that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Power Up Show with uh, me and Paul on Live Notes with and we'll be back after this from with David. It's uh, eight minutes to seven o'clock. Yours is to, to a live 90.5. This is a power-up show with Mia and Paul and we're chatting to uh, David McCauley and uh, before we broke off there, we were just to talk, we were about to come and talk about the, uh, the the specials I love, all the stuff which uh, my brother-in-law would call them emotional purchases. <laughs> David, I was saying to you that when I first looked at the Aldi special aisle and for our listeners, let me just explain it for you and especially for those listeners who may suffer a little bit from OCD, it's you walk down very organised aisles and the next thing you get to the middle of Aldi and it just seems like there's no rhyme or reason. There is absolute chaos. And I remember my body went into overdrive going, I can't cope, I can't do this, I can't do this. There's too much happening here. Do you want to just talk us through what the special aisle is and why it has been so successful? Ah, the jumble sale of Aldi. Ah, <laughs> jumble sale, that's a good way of putting it. That's about <laughs> why, you could, why you could say, yes, unfortunately their, uh, their, their shelving and their, their merchandising facilities aren't all that uh, great for trying to uh, sell a, a ski parker. I will say, having a look at it the other day, or I think in their, their upcoming catalogue, if they somehow they've got to fit in there a, a toilet suite. So that's <laughs> going to be quite a challenge for those guys. But um, anyway, so the, the whole piece around the special buyers is uh, they've looked at it from the point of view uh, that program in in the context of how do they get more customers into their stores to buy more stuff more frequently. Yeah. So that's what it's all about. So what they're trying to do is drive a, a fear of missing out strategy with uh, with consumers that there are products that is just at unbelievably good, good price and great quality that uh, has limited availability. So that's all about trying to drag more customers into their stores all the time and offering them, them stuff that they may, may not want, but mm-hmm. certainly that's interested, interesting to them. So it's the weekend warrior for the power tools. It's the it's the uh, the ski families going down to Threadbow Parish at exactly a good time of year. I think it's about a half a metre coming, um, and so they compare uh, they compare pricing across the market in terms of what's a what's a ski jacket worth, what's a cost to hire, and then go out and court and range and mm. range their assortment and price it accordingly. So it's not it's not an accident what they're doing. It's really thought out. It's well planned. Um, the Aldi guys, like most most retailers, are all about trying to find ways to differentiate themselves in their consumers' eyes versus their competitors to ensure that they're a destination shop. So, you know, the Aldi guys are doing a great job. The Woolies guys are doing a good job in the way they do things. So does Coles and so does IGA. So they're all trying to um, bring out bring out differentiation. But certainly for Aldi, they have. They have hit on a on a on a concept and a and a methodology that works. They can not only source from SMEs here or, or from Australian businesses, but they have this massive global supply chain, which they're able to tap into. So when they put a TV on for five hundred bucks, I mean they're sourcing it out of the same five factories in China. They're putting it in containers. They're shipping it all around the world, and they're uh, and they're making hay while the sun shines. So. It's not. It's not an accident. Mm. They research. They understand their customer. They look for uh, items where they can create great value for their consumer, and or for the savvy shopper. You, 
you're probably best describing them as, yeah. and um, and providing them with a reason to go in. Once Just, they're in, they buy the milk, the bread, the meat, and, and the they, see the, they see the quality <laughs> of the freshness of, of what their of their of their fresh foods and everything else that, that they've got in there. So you know they're smart operators. Mm. Very I mean, it definitely it definitely works, doesn't it? As well, I mean, I, yeah. I guess the amount of times it's uh, it's it's hooked me in terms of, and even did it the other week as well. And I uh, I went through a spell of going in Audi a lot, and uh, and then uh, went there again recently and uh, bought something we really just didn't wasn't going in <laughs> didn't for. Yeah, I mean, it's also you know Costco do something similar to that, but um, their model is a little bit different. But mm. uh, of mm. course, but uh, you know that it's all about trying to get consumers in the door to spend. Bu- Ben Bucks and you know Ali have got their formula and it's a great and formula right. and it works really really well for them. David, so, just yeah. very quickly because we're running out of time here, but oh, sure. the, the model that Aldi have got can it be repeated? Can it be duplicated, or have they just nurtured that that market space? Oh, they've nurtured it. Um, I think they've got that space. It'd be very difficult for uh, never say never, of course, but it'd be difficult for uh, an existing retailer in Australia to be able to copy yeah, that in any way, shape, or form. I mean, what's the point of copying it? I mean, all you can do is try and go cheaper. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're not going to do you know, that, right? So, yeah, that's the, the race to the bottom. So why do you really want to do it? Yeah. But um, you know, for me, uh, anybody who's the, if anybody's going to do it globally coming into Australia, that'll be little, um, mm. little yeah. parent company, Kaufland is 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 here. You, um, they're a very similar operation to Aldi. They're a little bit more upmarket than Aldi, but um, uh, yeah, they're the, they're the only ones I can see that that could copy it. Beautiful. But Aldi don't have any; they don't really have any risk at the moment of Woolies and Coles yeah. trying to trying to take their space. I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you, David, so much for that insight. Um, I'm just fascinated by all of this. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I've nerded out, so <laughs> yeah, I've had funny. my I've had my thrill for the week. And next week, I think Paul's going to bore me with some HR stuff. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, David. It's just not enough. Yeah, correct. David, thank you so much. You and I will definitely catch up for coffee to continue this conversation. Paul's going over his dead body, so we won't invite him. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, thanks so much, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks, bye.